We're in the book of 2 Timothy today. This is our last sermon in this particular book. Chapter 4. My desire, Lord willing, if he gives me next week, is um, to go straight to the book of Acts. I was originally thinking the epistles of John 1, 2, 3, and I've kind of re- regrouped, and I think we'll, we'll start up the book of Acts. Next week. This is our the final section that we're going to look at is um, verse verse nine through twenty two, and actually there are probably maybe five subsections here. Right, we've hit some of the themes before. You'll see it as we go through. I thought would take this large chunk of scripture and just take it as a singular unit and I'll tell you I've entitled it what I've entitled it but I've subtitled it something and I'll tell you that just in a bit but um, verse 9 hear the holy word of our holy God make every effort to come to me soon for Demas having loved this present world has has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica Christians has gone to Galatia Titus to Dalmatia only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he's vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, that all the Gentiles might hear and I, that I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca, Aquila, the household of Nesiphorus, Erastus remained in Corinth, Tromphimus I left in, sick in Miletus, Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Amazing grace, Father, that saved wretches like us in Christ, your Son, our Savior. We ask Almighty God, Holy Spirit, as we look at this concluding portion of of this particular letter, that you would have mercy upon me and my preaching and all of us in our listening, and that we would be increasingly built up into the image of Jesus. Father, for the saints, those that know your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would be continuously made like him, mortifying our flesh and growing in righteousness. If there are any that don't know you, we pray today, Lord God, through the ministry of your word, by your application, Holy Spirit, um, you you would save. We pray these things in the Redeemer's name. Amen. The title is the concluding words, and that's really what we're looking at. He has various. It, it's he's walking through a laundry list of things 
that he's passing on to Timothy um, as he's concluding this, this particular letter. I've subtitled it something. It's interesting that our brother uh, George, in his teaching, um, he, he must have, I must have been looking at his notes. Or he, I've subtitled this The Humanity of Paul and the humanness of Paul. And I, maybe I've just been thinking that because of his teaching. And so it's concluding words. And George used in Sunday school something like, we're not supermen. We sometimes think we're supermen. That, that's exactly right. When we look at the Apostle Paul, I would argue that we're not looking at a superman. We're, we're looking at a sinner saved by grace who is used by God extraordinarily, extraordinarily true enough. But he, he is a real live human being. And it's even this little laundry list, looking at the humanity of Paul is very, very encouraging to what I would say, just regular Christian folks. And the Apostle Paul is a regular Christian fellow. And I, I want to just kind of back up and maybe kind of work our way into that idea of we're looking at Paul's humanness, his ordinariness, if that's even a word. If you remember, we've been in this particular, this is our 13th sermon in 2 Timothy. I don't know how long we took in 1 Timothy, but we took them in a row. So 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. So we've been at this business for a couple of months. If you remember what the Apostle Paul's overlying purpose is, what's going on here, it's, it's, it's a personal letter. Yes, it's inspired by God the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's placed in the canon of Scripture. But it's, it's a personal letter. This is one of the things I love about history. When you read real his, I'm reading another book on, um, I won't tell you who I, well, I will tell you, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, my southern brothers. I'm reading it on Grant again. <laughs> I'm reading another, but I love reading history because it's like being in a time capsule. And we're looking at redemptive history. It's a time capsule. We're looking at a little snippet of a personal letter from one man to another man an older man to a younger man. He's trying, the older man is trying to encourage the younger man. And it's, a, it's an older Christian minister who's trying to encourage the young, younger Christian minister. The, the older minister has fought longer, has fought more difficult battles, and he is writing to this young fellow, and we know Timothy. And here again we see, even in the letters to Timothy, the humanity of Timothy. Timothy, the Apostle Paul, is not Superman. He is a sinner saved by grace, a real flesh and blood man. As Paul says in the book of James, Elijah wasn't Superman. What was Elijah? He he was a man of like nature. So we have one ordinary Christian, if I could put it that way. Yes, he's inspired, but he's an ordinary Christian writing to bolster, strengthen another younger, ordinary Christian minister. And you remember Timothy. Timothy is not Superman. Uh, Timothy is actually a very tremulous fellow. He suffers stomach problems. He has anxiety problems. How many of us have anxiety problems or stomach problems? And so he's, he, he is struggling in the ministry of the word. He's struggling in the gospel ministry. And so the older minister writes to the younger minister, essentially saying, what? Stay the course. Don't quit. I've said this ad nauseum. How many ministers start the ministry thinking this is going to be great and I'm going to go until I'm 70 or when I die? And they don't make it a year, two years, five years, seven years. There's gone. They need the older man, Paul. The younger men need the older men to tell them, fight the good fight, stay the course. 
And if the man has anxiety problems, what does he say? Drink some wine for your stomach and then press into Christ. So one Christian bolstering the strength of another Christian, and then within the letter too, it's not only Timothy that's struggling in the ministry, it's the, it's the church at Ephesus. It's the ordinary Christians. They're struggling with sin, with difficulties, with living in an antichrist world. And the Apostle Paul's advice, the Holy Spirit's advice through the Apostle Paul is what? Fight the good fight, fight the good fight, fight the good fight. Finish the race, finish the race and live for Christ. That's the advice. Look to Christ. That's the advice. So here we have a man who has kind of the Barnabas spirit, which is Paul, which is what? He's an encourager. I've said this before. There are some people, and even sadly some Christians, that they think they have the gift of discouragement, and they're very good at it. And when they get around you, you leave like this. I'm never going to make it. It's not Paul. Paul says to Timothy, you can make it. And Paul tells the church to tell the church, Press on, live for Christ, fight against your sin, look to him. So this is an encouragement letter, but there's a real humanness to it. Again, one of the reasons why I'm beginning with this general idea of what we're looking at, I wasn't raised reading the Bible. I was in the Roman Catholic Church. We didn't read the Bible, really. We read the St. Joseph's Missalette week, week in and week out. I didn't read the Bible. But when you sometimes read the Bible, you, you, we, we can sometimes fall into this error. Well, that's, that's the prophet Isaiah. Of course he can do that. That's the prophet Elijah. Of course he can. That's the Apostle Paul. Okay, he's a superman. He's inspired by God. He's fighting with wild beasts. He's in the drink for three days and three nights. Well, what he believed and what he can do, that's him. But this has nothing to do with just the lunch bucket work-a-day guy like me. I'm just a mere mortal. Well, beloved, I'm not the only guy that's looked at these guys and said, well, that's great for you super people, but what about us regular people? How do we do it? If we sat down for a meal with the Apostle Paul, what would we think about the Apostle Paul if we just had a meal with him? He's a real live human being. He's not Superman. This is not a man that has all strength and no weaknesses. When he, he has an eye problem, Galatians chapter 4. He says, you would have ripped your eyeballs out for me because I can't see straight. With these, these own hands, I make these letters. He has to write like this. Why? Because he didn't have specs. He couldn't see anything. He's an eye problem. He's a real live human being. And he writes to Timothy. Timothy's afraid of his own shadow. He's a real live human being. And to me, this is encouraging. This is... The Bible is not about Jesus coming to save sinless, perfect people. Those people don't exist. He's coming to save what kind of folk? Us, sinners, broken people. That's who he's coming for. Sick, broken people. That's what he's in the business of doing, saving sinners. And then sanctifying us, conforming us into the image of Jesus. This whole letter oozes the humanity, the real humanity of the Apostle Paul. If you take a step back from what we just read, what you all just read with me, 9 to 12, we're looking at the neediness of the Apostle Paul. This, again, the humanity of Paul. Paul says, I'm a real alive human being. I'm a sinner saved by grace, saved by Christ, but I have needs. And he, he talks about that. He, he says... <laughs> I'm lonely. Everyone's left me. I'm all alone. And then he says, 
it's going to be winter soon. Go get my coat. The, the neediness of Christians. We're not super men and super women. The moment we come to believe in Jesus Christ, we're translated from darkness to, to, to light, death to life. All true. All true. We have the right to be called children of God. All true. The, every blessing in the Bible, yes and amen. All true. But that doesn't mean we're made out of kryptonite. The moment we're born again, we're not made out of kryptonite. Christians get lonely. <laughs> Christians get cold. And he says that. And then we see also in, 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 in 14 and 15, he gets hurt. Real Christians, when people try to hurt us, we get hurt. He's expressing the, the real humanity. And then in 16 and, and through 18, he says, everybody left me. No one supported me. I was all alone. And then Christ came to me. So, so, so beloved, when, when you read the Bible, look at Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. Were those people made out of kryptonite? Were they all superhuman people that when they bled, they didn't bleed? When they got cold, they weren't cold? Was that them? No. No. Sinners that are saved by the grace of God in Christ and when it got cold, they got cold. When they didn't have any food, they got hungry. When people hurt them, they got hurt. We are looking at the realness. This, this is, the Bible isn't like the false books of the false gods, like superhuman people that fly through the air. The Bible is about real sinners coming to a real Christ for real salvation. And then he keeps us here until he calls us there and we live in the real world. We live in the real world. We get lonely. We get hungry. We get hurt. We get needy. And Jesus really does come to us and support us in that. Do you see that? So really, it's kind of a one-point sermon. The humanity of Paul or the humanity, the, real, the realness of the true believer in this life. And then we'll, we'll look at Perhaps we'll walk through some of those subsections as we we go. Let's look at the first aspect of the Apostle Paul's neediness. He says in 9 through 12, the first thing he says is he's lonely. The Apostle Paul is lonely. Timothy, make every effort to come to me when? Soon. Remember, he's writing to Timothy. Timothy's the pastor of Ephesus. Paul's in a Roman prison. He's been in prison, I think it's two or three times. On the first couple of times, at least the first time, he says, I'm confident I'm getting out. On this one, he's not confident he's getting out. Remember Corey Timboom, I think they're in Raven's book, was her sister, Betsy. And Betsy says, you know, or Corey says to Betsy, we're getting out of here. And, and Betsy says, I know we're getting out of here. And then she dies. Am I right with that? Well, she got out of there. The Lord delivered her. And if you look at the end of this little section that we read, before this section, Paul says, I'm getting ready, my departure is coming. And at the very end, he says, I know I'm going to be received into heaven. He knows he's getting out of there. But he's getting out of there in that God is going to call him on home. So he, he, he is in a Roman prison, and he tells us that he's all alone. Now let's back up and just talk about why Paul is in a Roman prison. I suppose the charge that would be brought against him, if you remember the whole narrative, is he's going to be executed for being seditious. He's disturbing the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And I want you to think about that. 
So was the Apostle Paul running around telling people, don't pay your taxes to Caesar? In fact, you know what? The income tax is not even legal. You shouldn't pay the income tax. (laughs) Did he do that? No, he didn't do that. The Apostle Paul, like Jesus said, if you owe taxes, pay your taxes to Caesar. Here is a man executed by Caesar for being seditious against Caesar, but he gave the honor that Caesar was due. He gave... He gave the honor to Caesar. He worked with his own hands. He was tried to be at peace with all men. He provided for himself. And he taught all Christians to do the same. And what did Caesar do to him? Executed him under false charges. Who, who is that like? Who is that, who is that like? Do you say that you're a king? Did did someone else tell you I was a king? You're a king. Yeah, I I am a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus, Jesus Christ was the perfect man, the perfect human, the model citizen. And he was killed like this. Here is the Apostle Paul. As a Christian and as a minister of Jesus Christ, he is very soon to be martyred. The word witness to witness is martyreo, martyr. And this is part of his service. The Apostle Paul is working right up until they kill him. He's even in prison, writing letters, even in prison, praying, 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 praying. He's working right up until they cut his head off. The work is part of his ministry and service to Christ, and also his death is part of his ministry. It's part of his witness. Have you ever watched someone go from this planet to beyond the planet? As a believer, as a believer, the way that we live is part of our witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would be so bold as to say the way that we die is part of our witness for Jesus Christ. There's a brother in the Lord that says his dad taught him how to live for Christ and his dad has shown him how to die for Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing. But he says, I'm, I'm all alone. I'm all alone in a prison. And look at what he wants. This gets back to, to the humanity of Jesus, uh, to the humanity of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, when, when he was converted, wasn't like Paul Simon. I'm a rock. I'm an island. I don't need anybody. I have Jesus. I'm completely okay. And when I'm in prison alone, I'm not even lonely. Is that what he said? No. What does he say? I'm lonely. Timothy, and who is Timothy to Paul? His beloved son. I don't think Timothy had children, except spiritual children. I don't think he was married. He wasn't married. And so he wants his beloved son to come see him. So part of what we're being taught here is as believers, some of us were raised in the church, some of us were not raised in the church, but we're all susceptible to certain errors. And some of the errors that were susceptible is the, the moment that you become a Christian or Christians, well, well, you have Jesus. You don't, you have Jesus. So you don't need anything except Jesus. Yes, in the right sense, but also, did Paul have Jesus? Yeah. Was Paul lonely for a human being to come by and say, hey, Paul, I love you. Hey, Paul, I really do love you. And I know that you're cold. Here's a coat. You see, 
we've maybe all seen some of this. I call it being hyper-spiritual, being more spiritual than the Bible. I have food that you know not of. Do you need food? I don't need food. I have Jesus. (laughs) What are you talking about? Have you met people that are so spiritual, you're like, this isn't even normal. You're not even being normal. This isn't even true. Well, I oh No, this is not true. Look at the Bible. We're, we're Protestants. Sola Scriptura. I understand why people want to be more spiritual than the Bible. They're wrong. Look at the Bible. What does the Bible say? Paul was a real live human being. And he wanted his son in the faith to come visit him when he's alone in, in, in a Roman prison. And, you know, our brother mentioned this. In, in Sunday school, so many, it's so interesting as I was listening to him. There were so many points that he made. I'm like, oh, George, don't make that point because I'm going to make that point. Sometimes we think as Christians something like this Well, I want to do something for Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. I want to live for the kingdom of Jesus. And many times in the Christian church, what do we think? That means what? If you're going to do that, you have to be a missionary. The only way to serve Jesus is either be a pastor or a missionary. Other than that, you're just a bozo on the bus and sorry, you can't serve Jesus. <laughs> That's not right. That's not right. Remember the humanity, the real humanness of real live Christians? Christianity is not lived like in some super duper, I don't know, like some super battle. Christianity is lived. Our life living for Jesus to glorify God and to enjoy Him is lived in the little bits of life. Just the little bits. The little bits. You you, you remember on the last day, on Judgment Day, when we die, and then when Christ returns, we get bodies joined to our perfected souls, there's going to be two lines standing before King Christ, the, the goat line and the sheep line. In the sheep line, what will Jesus say to the sheep? You did what for me? You did some super thing, and I'm not, I'm not against doing super stuff for Jesus. I'm not against being a missionary. If you, I, we love missionaries. But, beloved, what about us regular folk? i got to hang sheetrock. I've got some kiddos to watch. i got to teach school. What about the regular folk? What can I do? You can go to your lonely mother or lonely father or lonely brother and lonely sister, and you can sit with them and talk to them for like an hour. Well, that's nothing. Oh, that's not nothing. Who does it mean something to? To the lonely person, who else? Jesus writes it down. He writes it down. You got out of your house, you drove across town, and you went and visited one of my lonely children, your lonely brother and sister. And you gave them a cup of cold water. You gave them a kind word. Beloved, that's living for Christ. This is living like Christ. This brings glory to Jesus. It builds up the body of Christ. So look around. Just a visit. Just to, well, I don't have any gifts. Yes, you do have a gift. You. You have a gift. You are the gift. Get up. Shut off the TV. There are people that you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, mothers and fathers in Christ, they need a visit. They need someone to come and say, I, I love you in Christ. I love you in Christ. So, Apostle Paul is lonely, and he, he asks Timothy to come see him. 
And he expects, even with the way that he says it, he expects Timothy's going to do what? He's going to straighten out his workload at the church, and he's going to get on the Greyhound bus, and he's going to drive to, to, uh, to, to, to Rome. Our brother talked about the being too busy in, in, in Sunday school. You know this later in life um, when you fail, when you get a call from a loved one that says, you know, I sure would like to see you, cats in the cradle. I sure would like to see you. And you say, you know, you know, Dad, I can't see you. The job's lousy. I, I got stuff to do. I would love to see you, but I can't see you. I'm going to tell you, as I'm 57, if you're tempted to do that, if someone that you love says, I'm lonely, come, please come see me. In my opinion, brother to brother, you should clear the deck. <laughs> and you should get in a car, or how will you get there, and go see them. Because there's coming a time when you're not going to get the call because they're not there. And you would have wished, oh, all Paul wanted was a visit. You see what I mean? So our Christian faith is lived in the day-to-day little bits. And who is to say how much that redounds to, to God's glory? And then he tells us why he's somewhat lonely is he says he's been deserted. Again, the humanity of the Apostle Paul. Here's Paul. You would think, well, if you had the... Now, if you have just regular Bob the pastor, of course you're going to leave Bob the pastor. If you had the Apostle Paul as a pastor, as a preacher, you would be... We would think we would be glued to this guy. Don't, don't we say that? Oh, if I had the Apostle, I would be with him wherever he went. I would go, his God is my God, his people is my God, Ruth chapter 1. <laughs> I would go everywhere with him. Really? Where is he now? He's getting ready to get his head chopped off. There is a cost to being a Christian here. And so Demas, he actually writes down, he names names. He says, Demas has left, left me. And you remember who Demas is here? And this again is instructive for us as the, the Christian church is made of real life human beings. There are goats in the church, professing believers that are not possessing believers. They're unbelievers. And then there are true sheep. The people that say they love Christ and they really do. Demas is a goat. Um, Demas for a time the Apostle Paul says in the book of Colossians he says in the book of Philemon he says uh, uh, Demas and Luke my beloved physician we greet you that's Colossians so Demas was a professing Christian and even to some degree some kind of professing servant slash minister of Jesus that was useful to the Apostle Paul in the book of Philemon he's again with Luke and he says, um, he's my, Demas is my fellow co-worker and servant in Jesus. And he's useful for my service. And now to what do we see about him? He's gone. He's gone. Um, I, I suppose we've all seen this. The flesh can do certain things, but when it hits a certain point, it can't, can't go beyond that. Faith can do all things. If you truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit gift of faith, you could walk through the wind and the waves because Christ is with you. But if you don't possess faith, all you possess is a profession. You don't have faith. You're just in the flesh. You can only go so far. You could train a parrot to say, I love Jesus. You could train a parrot to say the catechism, but it doesn't make the parrot 
a, a lamb or a sheep. And th- this, this fellow has no faith. And so he only professes faith and only serves Christ, as it were, only so far. And then he bumps up into something that's just too much for him. And what's that? The love of the world. The love of the world. And so now what happens is there are two competing loves. The love of God in Christ and the love of the world and the love of self and the love of pleasure. And they bump up into one another. And what reveals us as whether we are true Christians or whether we are goats is which one wins. The Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 6, you can't serve two masters. One's going to win. Will it be your first love of God in Christ? Or is your first love the world? Read James chapter 4, 1 through 10. If you make yourself a friend of the world, what do you make yourself regarding God? An enemy. But this is a real thing. The Apostle Paul says, I'm alone. In part, he's alone because a former Christian is no longer a Christian. He didn't lose his salvation. A former professing Christian is no longer a professing Christian. A former minister is no longer a minister. They're gone. Oh, beloved, there is not an adult Christian in this room that doesn't know a person just like that. They went to church with you. They professed Christ with you. They read the Bible with you. They prayed with you. And now they're gone. No Christ, no Bible, no church, nothing. Off to the world. That's unbelief in the church. And the Apostle Paul says, it breaks his heart that this occurred. Why is that? I have friends that for a while professed faith, and I thought they were Christians, and everybody else thought they were Christians. And you would think, well, I would know. I would know if you're a phony baloney Christian. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. The other 11 apostles didn't know that Judas was Judas. Right? He was the keeper of the money bag. He was pilfering on the side. And no one knew it was him. And when Jesus said, someone's going to forsake me, they didn't go, we know it's Judas. What did they say? Is it me? So there, there are a couple of reasons that reveal the humanity, the, the real-life humanness of, of, of a Christian here with this. The people that forsake Christ, that walked with him for a while, that we went to church with, we loved them. We loved them. You say, well, I don't love unbelievers. I feel bad for you. I do. I love unbelievers. I love them. I want them to know Christ. And when people walk away and live in their sin, it hurts the Apostle Paul. He grew to love their company. He grew to, to, to need and to rely upon their service. And then there's the other aspect that reveals the humanity of Paul, that they're gone. And I, it, I just referenced it. Am I a real Christian? Is it, am I? Is it, Lord, is it I? Will I defect? You think, well, no one ever says, I just mentioned the apostles. Every apostle asked that question. Is it I, Lord? Is it I? Read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, I buffet my body so that what? I won't be disqualified. Did he say he was meriting his salvation? No. Did he not have assurance that he was saved? Yes, he did have assurance that he was saved. 
Is he, is he acknowledging that we live with the world, the flesh, and the devil? Yes, he is. Oh, beloved, profession of Christ is an easy, 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 easy thing. This is testifying to us the reality of the spiritual warfare. And when we see, John says in the first epistle, they were among us for a time, they went out because they were, they were not of us. And, and it is grievous to him, and it hurts them. And I would say, for me, it's a frightening thing. Um, you, may, you may not be frightened by it. What's especially frightening to me is when I see my brother ministers who fall into grievous sin, and then they cling to a paramour and reject Christ. That terrifies me. That terrifies me. And we see the humanity of this. But in verses 10 and 11, we'll also see with the Apostle Paul how, well, I would say, ministry-focused Paul remains. He's in prison. He's going to get ready. He's going to, get, he's going to be martyred. And look at what he says, in prison, ready to be martyred. Could you pick up Mark? <laughs> Timothy, go get Mark. Bring him back to me in the prison. He's useful for my what? My ministry. And also, get my coat, because the winter's coming, and it's going to be cold in the prison. Get my coat. Get my books. Get my commentaries. Get my parchment. What is he planning on doing before he dies? He's working straight through. Oh, beloved, this is a real-life Christian who's facing real-life death, death. But he, he looks at the, their intermittent time, that, that time from the time he's jailed, well, the time he's converted, certainly the time he's jailed to the time he leaves. He says, I'm going to work. As long as I have breath, I'm going to live for Christ, I'm going to die for Christ. But this is a real Christian. And so he says, I, I, I want my coat and I want my, my books in prison. William Tyndale. Sometimes there are people who say, well, um, you know, um, they'll criticize the Protestant church or such and so. And I sometimes say to them, do you all have an English Bible at your house? Yes, I have an English Bible. Well, thank the Protestants for the English Bible. <laughs> and thank the English Protestants for your English Bible. Because it was men like William Tyndale that gave his life for the English Bible. And Tyndale did a, almost an identical species of what the Apostle Paul did. He's in prison, getting ready to die. I think they burned him. And he, he writes a letter to the, the governor of the jail and says, listen, it's freezing in the jail. I need a woolen cap. I need a woolen coat. I want a little candle. And I want my Hebrew Bible. And I want my Greek Bible. Did the exact same thing. So it's not the Apostle Paul. It's a minister. And he wants to continue ministering for the Lord Jesus Christ with whatever time he has. But back to what, we were, what we've been talking about thematically. Paul's obviously sometime before it gets winter, and he's looking out thinking, winter's coming, I'm in a prison, it's going to get cold, and what does he need? He needs a coat. And what he's asking for, the thing itself, is like a poncho. It has a hole in it with no arms. It's just like a big old poncho, like a woolen poncho. And he looks out, and he's using... Um, we have a chapter in our confession. Uh, chapter 3 is the decree. Chapter 5 is providence. He, the Apostle Paul understands that God governs all his creatures and all their actions. But the way that God ordinarily governs everything is what? Through ordinary means. Could God feed us with ravens? Could he do it? Could he say to you, you know what? Don't, you don't need to go to the, the factory tomorrow. No need to punch the clock. I'm going to send you McDonald's from a, from a raven. Could he do it? He could. 
Does he ordinarily do it? No. How does he ordinarily feed you? You got to get out of bed. You put the work boots on. You get the lunch bucket, and off to the factory you go. Work. And if if we are cold, how does God ordinarily keep us warm? Put your coat on. Remember, people like, oh, I'm so so spiritual. I have Jesus. I have everything I need. True. Amen. Spiritually, amen. But those truths don't negate how God sovereignly governs through ordinary means. Prepare. It's, it's getting cold. Send Mark by my house and get my jacket. I need a book. I want to study. And this, is, this shows us that even the great Apostle Paul was using those ordinary God-ordained means. When someone says that's not relying upon God, I've heard people say, don't buy life insurance. You're not trusting in God. Ordinary means. Ordinary means. How many people do I know personally that because the person they loved had life insurance, they were eating and paying rent? Ordinary means. The denial of those things is hyper-spirituality. It's not true. It's not biblical. We're looking at that. Then he says, the next kind of subsection in 14 and 15 the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, there's a fellow that hurt me, and his name is Alexander the, the, the copper smith. Again, back to the true humanity of Paul. Christians, when it's cold, they get cold. Christians, when we get hurt, guess what happens to us? I know this is stunning. We get hurt. We get hurt. People will say to you, oh, if you believe in Jesus... Even if people abuse you all day long, you should be just counting everything joy and walking around happy as a lark with with a lilt in your voice and a bounce in your step, even when you're being abused. Well, spiritually, I get the counting in all joy. I get that. What did Jesus do? Was he laughing on the cross? I don't mean to be in bias. No. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There is a time to laugh and there's a time to what? Cry. What we see here is when Christians get hurt by another human being, we really suffer pain. This is not anti-spiritual. This is not wrong. And I will say this. Sometimes when people hurt us, they're trying to hurt us. When people say to the minister, it's not personal, I don't know, no one here. No one here. When they say it's not personal, guess what? It's personal. <laughs> it's super personal. You couldn't preach your way out of a paper bag. Nothing personal. When people are hurting you, a lot of times that's their purpose, is to to hurt you. And Paul says, he hurt me. And he acknowledged it. And again, it is not contrary to grace. It's not contrary to walking closely with Jesus. He's acknowledging reality. And what he says is interesting regarding that. Um, if I could back up a little bit, regarding why this fellow, Alexander. Now, it doesn't state right here why this fellow hurt the Apostle Paul. But there are a couple of places where when Paul says he's a a coppersmith, it it kind of points us in the right direction why this man didn't like Paul and tried to hurt him and did hurt him. In Acts chapter 16, in Acts chapter 19, I'm going to read the chapter in chapter 19. And this gets at why this fellow didn't like Paul and tried to hurt him. 
Acts 19.22, Having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Rastus, he stayed in Asia for a while. About their time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way, Christianity. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, this time not a coppersmith, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. Then he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Brothers, men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. And this Paul has persuaded all, a considerable number of people. He's saying, our gods are no gods. And so this fellow Alexander concludes like this. Paul is bad for business. Now I want to say something. Is he correct that Paul is bad for his business? Oh, yes. Beloved, there is a spiritual battle. We are on King Christ's side. There is everybody else. And it is a a war to the death. And so this other man who is dead in his sins and trespasses, it doesn't mean that he reasons like a chimpanzee. Even unbelievers can can still reason. They can't can't reason spiritually, but they they can reason some things rightly. He says, if Paul keeps preaching Jesus... That you don't, this little critter that I'm making isn't even a God. It's, it, it's not going to help you. I'm going to be down at, at the, the, the soup line. I won't have a business. He's right. He's right. And you know this. If you have come out of a false religion, as I came out of a false religion, when you embrace the truth of the Bible, when you embrace justification by faith alone in Christ alone, when you embrace that, what happens to those previous lies? Oh, they get shown to be lies, and you let go of them. So even though this man reasons rightly, as far as humanly speaking, if this guy keeps preaching Jesus, I'm going to be broke. Nevertheless, we see that he is not inexcusable before God. He says God will repay. And this is another thing where people that try to impose upon us what I would argue is hyper-spirituality, wrong spirituality, they say like this, well, if you're a Christian and someone abuses you, you always are to forgive them, and they usually mean always to forgive them even if they don't ask for forgiveness. That's another discussion. But they mean you never even want justice. You're just a Christian, and you, just, you, you don't even want justice because you're a Christian. Read this text. What does the Apostle Paul say? And God will repay him. <clears throat> Beloved, that's part of the humanity of human beings. Even little kids know this. A little kid, when you spank a little kid wrongly, we, all of us parents have spanked our kids wrongly. It was Bobby and not Billy. And we spanked Bobby and not Billy. And little Bobby is indignant because he says it was his brother and not him. There is that inju- When an injustice has been done to us, what happens within us? That's unjust. That's not contrary to Scripture. What's contrary to Scripture is when we say, I am going to repay. But Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'm going to get you back, Alexander, or the state's going to get you back, Alexander. What does he say? God will repay. He trusts. But there is this desire, even within the regenerate bosom of the Apostle Paul, when an injustice is done to us, of course we still want that person that perpetrated to us to come to know Jesus. Of course that's true. But there still is that desire for justice. And I'm going to say this, and then with an illustration. I want to say it's uh, Revelation chapter 6. There are guys under the... And it's symbolical, of course. There are guys under the throne of Christ. Remember? In the book of Revelation, they have been beheaded for the ministry of Jesus, for their, for their, for their testimony of Jesus. And what do they cry to Jesus? How long, O oh Lord? 
Will you not avenge? Will you not bring justice? There, 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 it's, a ho- it's a holy desire. And it is not incompatible with love and grace and kindness. Paul had all of those. Beloved, there have been some Christians, as a minister, I've been your minister 20 years. I have heard stories from brothers and sisters in Christ that have been so hurt by other human beings, it's made me weep. And is there not a God who rises up someday and he will right every wrong? He will. He will. I don't want to go too long. I, I want to get to what I really like. I like all of this, but I want to get to the... This is for a warning. I have a whole section on the warning. We'll, we'll look at that. Um, he, I, I want to get to this part where Paul says, um, at my first defense, no one stood with me. Paul's been on trial before Jews. Paul's been on trial before Gentiles. Who's that like? Jesus. And when Jesus went on trial before Jews and Jesus went on trial before Gentiles, how many friends were standing right there with him? I'm going to say this, beloved, and this is just as a side point. We are sheep. Sheep are designed by God to flock together. That's true. But there are many times in the Christian life where God in his providence and then God in his testing providence will test our faith And I would argue perhaps we're even living in the times when this might occur more. If you love Christ in spirit and in truth, you you love biblical Christianity, the blood of Christ cleanses you from all unrighteousness, only the blood. If you cling to that and you maintain that it is true, I am arguing from this passage that there will be times in your life that God will require of you to stand up alone. You won't have a whole boatload of people standing next to you. We believe with Brother Bobby. We believe with Sister Sally. It's going to be you. And you'll stand there and they'll say, so Christ is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Is that what you maintain? And what will you be required to say? That's what I believe. That's what I believe. It's a scary thing. Everybody, all of us think, I could stand alone. I don't care. I'm so strong. I could stand alone. Oh, no, 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 no. We can stand alone when we're in our bed dreaming about standing alone. Everybody's Vince Lombardi when we're dreaming in our bed. We're all Sergeant York when we're, we're not getting shot at. When I stick you out front and you look around and there are no friendly faces there, can you profess Christ before men? And I want to end with this because this is so encouraging. When you look around and there are no other Christians saying, go get him, brother. Go get him, sister. You hold fast to Jesus. There's no one but you. That's not altogether true. Who's going to be right there? I quoted Corey Timboon. I don't often quote Corey, but I'm going to quote her again. In Ravensbrook. She said, you don't know Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. We don't really know that Christ is right there with us when we look around and see other folk. When you look around and you don't see anybody else with eyes of faith, who's standing right there? Christ. Christ. And look at what the Apostle Paul says. I love this. I just, this couples with, he goes, I'm getting ready to die. And here he concludes the very letter with it. He says, He's, he has brought me through these many things. 
He does past tense, and then he does future tense. He has brought me through, and he will bring me through. He'll bring me through the hard, hard stuff, and where's he going to bring me to? What's he say? He has rescued me out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. He will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. The Apostle Paul, real live flesh and blood Paul, in a real prison with real loneliness, with real needs, none of those things can separate him from the love of God in Christ. Faith transcends the coldness. Faith transcends the loneliness. Faith transcends the prison. Faith transcends the weakness. Faith joins us to the living Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 139, when you're in the top of the mountain, God is with you. When you're in the valley, you're in the deepest part of the sea, God is with you. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he was getting ready to leave in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and he says, Lo, I am what? Oh, beloved. Oh, oh. The Apostle Paul. This is the way that we live in heaven before we get to heaven. This is the way that we live on Christ before we're in his presence. We remember him, we look to him, we pray to him, we speak of him, we sing to him, and we remember, he's going to take me through all of this. And, and what does he say? He will. It's not us. We're not saved by our, our, our strength. We're saved by his strength. He will. He will. I don't know if I'm going to make it. You will, because he will. And, and he will. I, I want you to, I want you to, Get this, and then we're going to conclude. Jesus Christ, as a believer, as a lover of Jesus, Jesus Christ will, 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 will bring you and all of your loved ones in Christ, will bring you safely to his heavenly kingdom. And then what's the response to that? It's a doxology. To God be the glory. God be the glory. Great things he hath done. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.